please also to open your Bible to the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. Now this morning, I am continuing this series through the book of Exodus. So far, we've taken it a chapter at a time, big giant steps. As we've seen the necessity of affliction, we've seen how God reveals his will to us. And now I want to ask you this morning, as we look at the fourth chapter, to consider this subject, when God has a work for you to do. When God has work for you to do. I meet an unusual number of people who harbor a misconception about God and about his will and about the work they are to do in life. They are under the false impression that you never can really know what it is God wants you to do. That you just go out there and do the best you can for as long as you can and you hope that that pleases God, but you never really know. Well, I've said that's a false impression or a misconception because God deals with his children in an intelligent fashion. You can know what God wants you to do. You can know while doing it that you are pleasing to God, that you are fulfilling his plan for your life. You can live a life with those certainties. And so this morning we're going to think about that when God has work for you to do. Now, you know the background of this passage of Scripture. The children of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God has heard their plea, their cry, in their bondage and in their slavery. And so he is raising up a deliverer. His name is Moses. Moses was born during a time in Egypt, Egyptian history when Pharaoh had declared that all the young boys who were born were to be killed. But you know how Moses' mother provided for his safety. And ultimately, Pharaoh actually paid the bill for Moses to be reared, both in the finest tradition of Egyptian scholarship and at the same time to be reared by his own mother who constantly reminded him of his roots, his heritage, that he was one of the people of God. At the age of 40, Moses set out on what was ultimately an ill-fated attempt to be what God would one day ultimately make him. And that was a deliverer. And so at the age of 40, he found himself running for his life. On the backside of the desert, he not only met and married one of the daughters of a priest of Midian, a man by the name of Jethro, and Moses' wife's name was Zipporah, his first son, Gershom, which means I'm a stranger. And uh, he not only met and married, but he served his father-in-law as a shepherd. There on the backside of the desert, God encountered him. He always gets your attention, gives you an opportunity to listen before he speaks to you. And so God encountered him through that bush which burned but was not consumed. And God told Moses he wanted him to go back now at the age of 80. If you think that, you know, there's a time in your life when you're past needing to know what the will of God is for you, Moses was 80 years of age when he began to put these principles into practice in his life. And so at the age of 80, Moses now knows what it is God wants him to do. He is not immediately compliant, however. And that's where we find ourselves 
in the Scripture this morning in the fourth chapter of the book of Exodus. Now, in a few moments, I want us to stand together, and we're going to read the first verse of this chapter, and then we're going to read the last verse. And even as you're reading them, I'm going to ask you to compare these two verses because what we're going to be dealing with in these next few moments has to do with what transpired between verse 1 in this chapter and the closing verse of the chapter. So let's stand together and let's read these two verses. Let's read them aloud together. Chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 1. Let's read it first. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord has not appeared unto you. Now let's look over at the last verse, verse 31. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. That's quite a different scenario than Moses thought would occur. Let's pray together as we think together this morning on this subject when God has a work for you to do. Father in heaven, we realize that what we have read is your word to us. We know, Heavenly Father, that uh, it is impossible for us in these few moments or in any amount of time to plumb the depths of the Scripture. But, Lord, this morning we want you to show us how we should respond when you have a work for us to do. Father, I have this sense that in one way or the other, everyone in this auditorium, everybody watching on television, people who are listening on the radio... I think, Lord, that there is a sense in which we all know that you have a work for us to do. You have a plan for our lives, and you have a will for us day by day. And it is not only findable and knowable, it is a doable plan. And, Father, I pray that you would show us that we do not have to live in the dark about that plan, but that we can know what it is and aggressively cooperate with you. We can act in concert and we can know that we are pleasing to you. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would show us these principles and then do more than just educate us, Father. I pray that you would give us the grace to respond with our lives. Father, it would be tragic if all we received this morning was some intellectual information which we comprehended with our minds, but upon which we did not act with our lives. For then you would hold us accountable for rejecting and not acting upon the truth. So, Lord, give us grace so that we may act upon the truths which you revealed to us this morning. And I pray it in the wonderful and matchless name of Jesus, who is our Savior and who is the Lord of our lives. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Of course, you know you need to have your Bible in hand as we look now this morning at this fourth chapter of the book of Exodus, thinking together on this subject, when God has work for you to do. I do believe that virtually every one of us here in this auditorium has this sense, God has something for me to do. He has a way for me to live. He has a plan for my life. I think that many people would say, I, I have some idea of what it is. And dear friend, let me tell you, you can know the will of God as well as find it. And you can always do the will of God. The Bible says that his grace is sufficient. And the grace of God is what happens. It's, it's really a gift from God. It is God giving you not only the desire to do His will, but the ability to do His will in a day-by-day -day fashion. 
So you have no excuse, I have no excuse for not knowing or doing the will of God. Well, let's look at this business of the work God has for us to do. What are these principles we need to remember? Well, number one, when God has a work for you to do, He will use what you have and give you what you do not have. Now, let me say it again. He will use what you have. The gifts, the abilities, the talents, the skills, the experience, the personality. He will use what you have. But if in order for you to accomplish his plan for your life, it requires more than what you have, then he will give you what you do not have. That's what it means in the Bible when the Bible tells us that God's grace is sufficient for us. You know, um, there are a number of people who, who offer to God excuses. Well, Lord, I would do that, but I'm not able. God calls people into the ministry, for instance. There are people who say, well, I, I can't do that. God puts it upon your heart as a father or as a husband. This is what I want you to do to lead your family. And you say, well, that's wonderful, God, but I'm not able to do that. That's not within me to do that. Here you are, you're a wife or a mother, and God begins to lay on your heart some plan for your life. Here's something I'd like for you to do in your family. And you say, well, Lord, I'm unable to do that. Well, if God wants you to do it, you can do it. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But now let's look at the Scripture. Let's see Moses' experience as a testimony to that truth. Look again, if you will, please, at the first few verses of Exodus chapter 4. Moses says to God, I can't go back to the people of Israel and tell them that I'm to be their leader and then deliver them out of the bondage and slavery of Egypt. They'll think that I'm a dreamer. They'll say to me, you, you, who are you? What, what makes you think you can do that? Besides, Moses said, I don't have any credibility with these people. And God immediately says, Moses, all right, let's just take a look at what you have. He said, in your hand, you have that rod which you use as a shepherd. You use it to rescue the sheep. You use it to fend off the animals. You use it to steady yourself. Even when you walk at night, you tap that on the ground. You use it to remind the sheep of where you are. All right, throw that rod down. And you know the story? It became a snake. And then God said, pick it up by the tail. He picked it up. It became a rod again. And then God said, take your hand. Put it inside your cloak there and pull it out. And he pulled it out and it was covered with leprosy. God said, put it back in and then take it out again. And Moses did, and it was restored whole. And God said, listen, if they won't believe you for the power they see, when you throw down your rod, it becomes a snake. You put your hand there in your cloak, and it is covered with leprosy, and then it is made whole. If they won't do that, I'll tell you this. When you get there, you take the water out of the river, pour it on the ground, and it will become blood. But God says, listen, I'm going to give you credibility with these people. You use what you have, but I will give you what you don't think you have in order to do the job I want you to do. This morning, I was praying for Ruffin and Melissa. I was thinking about this new responsibility he's going to uh, take upon himself when he goes to this church in Conover, North Carolina. And I thought about the churches, Ruffin, which I've pastored 
over the years, several churches, and then our journey overseas to Africa to the mission field. And I recall the fact that in every instance, there were some things that I brought to the table when I went to that church or when I assumed that responsibility. I brought a certain amount of experience. I brought a certain amount of ability that God had given me. It was a gift from Him. I brought a certain amount of education to that experience. I, uh, I brought skills and, and friendships, which at least up to that moment in life, God had allowed me to experience. But I don't know that I have ever gone any place where I thought that I was totally equipped for the job. As a matter of fact, even in going there, I'll give you an, experience, an, an, an illustration of this. When in 1985, in November of that year, Jeannie and I and our family accepted the call of God to come to First Southern and to become the pastor of this church. Well, I had pastored other churches, so I knew a little bit about pastoring, but not everything. I had had other experiences. We had been on the mission field. There were things that God had allowed us to do, places He had allowed us to go, relationships He had allowed us to work through. There were certain administrative skills, which was one degree or the other, had been developed. But the truth of the matter was, when I came to this church, there was a great deal on my plate for which I had no experience. I had no education. All I had was God. And so all I could do in each of those experiences, all Ruffin's going to be able to do when he goes to Conover, all you can do when God gives you a work to do is to realize that he will use what you have, but he will also give you what you do not have to accomplish the responsibility. Generally, what God has for you to do is going to be bigger than you anyway. Because this walk of ours is to be a faith walk. It is a matter of walking with God and trusting in Him to supply. Trusting in Him for the, for the thoughts. Trusting in Him for the power to do. And I know some of you perhaps have in your heart, you, you know, I have this sense of what God wants me to do. And it's not just a dream. But over the years, God has refined this, and you have constantly said, but God, I am not able. Of course you're not able, nor was Moses able, as capable a leader as he was. Can you think of what kind of training it would take for an individual to take over a million people into the wilderness for 40 years? to fight incredible battles, to, to fight battles without as well as battles within, as well as battles inside his own heart. But God was showing Moses that he was going to use what he had, but he was also going to give him what he did not have in order to fulfill his will. Let's look at a second principle. When God has a work for you to do, he will not accept no as a legitimate response. When God has a work for you to do, he will not accept no as a legitimate response. I'm afraid there are some people who harbor in the back of their mind the thought that God can reveal his will and you can somehow say no to him and yet still be within his will. You can't. If you say no to God's plan for your life, then you cannot be in his will. 
As a matter of fact, if you say no to his plan for your life, immediately the scripture tells us because God loves you, he will begin to discipline you. Anytime you say no to what he has revealed to you as his will, his work for your life. Now let's look again at the scripture beginning with verse 10. Moses begins to explain to God that God has picked the wrong person. He says, basically, here am I, send Aaron. Notice what he says. He said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since have you spoken unto your servant, but I am of slow speech and a slow tongue. Now, I want you to see the humor in this. He says, God, you haven't talked with me before, so you probably don't know this. You've never heard me, you've never heard a word come out of my mouth, so this is going to come as a real surprise to you, God, but, but I stutter a little bit. And I, I'm of slow speech. I, I, I can't get my thoughts out. I, they're up here in my brain, but somehow, I don't know whether it's my motor skills, or what, but I can't get what's in my noggin up here out through my lips. And so, God, you probably didn't know this. We've never visited before. And notice what the Scripture says is God's response. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes the speechless or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Didn't I do that? Now you go do what I'm telling you. Go and I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Now Moses is going to try again to explain to God that he is the wrong person for the job. And so in verse 13, we read Moses' words. Oh, my Lord, you send the person you ought to send. And we read in verse 14 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. By the way, Moses did receive some discipline for this initial response of rejecting the will of God. You say, what was the discipline Moses received? Moses received Aaron. You say, what's wrong with that? Well, now, Aaron had a lot of wonderful qualities. Aaron became the original high priest. I mean, there's some great things about Aaron, but I want to tell you something. Aaron also made Moses' life difficult on more than one occasion. As a matter of fact, Aaron responded to Moses much in the same way that Moses responded to God on more than one occasion. This rejection of the will of God This dispute with God as to what was right. It was Aaron, by the way, to whom the people made their appeal while Moses was on Mount Sinai and who ultimately, as a matter of fact, made sure that they had a God of gold so that they could bow down and worship him like all the other idolaters in that country. And it was Aaron who, when he was confronted by Moses, said... Moses, I wasn't at that committee meeting. I, I didn't make that decision. I mean, they poured this, this, uh, this gold and silver in, and out jumped this, this calf. That's the way it happened. He couldn't even get a straight answer from it. And, and here's what I believe God's trying to tell us through this passage. You see, there are people in this auditorium, people watching, people listening, who in terms of what God wants you to do, you're on the fence. And to start with, you've offered all of your excuses, and now God's eliminated that. He said, look, I'll use what you have, and I'll give you what you don't have, so there's no excuse for you not going. 
And so that just leaves you with an argument. But, I, but basically, I don't want to. Basically, I, don't, I know you're telling me to go, Lord, but I don't think I am the person for it. And what God is wanting you and, and what God is wanting me to see this morning is this. No is not an acceptable or a legitimate response to God. Because anything else is just that. It's just something else. Number three. When God has work to, for you to do, he will not waste your family in the process. When God has a work for you to do, he will not waste your family in the process. It's a very interesting passage of scripture here, beginning with verse 18, and you can read it when you get home today, down through verse 26. First of all, we find Moses going to his father-in-law, Jethro. And really, he receives his father-in-law's blessing, as a matter of fact. In fact, his father-in-law says, go return to Egypt. You have my blessing, is what Jethro was saying here. And then the Lord comes along behind that and says, Moses... When you go to Pharaoh, you tell him that Israel is like the Son of God. And that if Pharaoh doesn't let the Son, the child of God go, then the firstborn in Pharaoh's house is also going to be killed. And then an unusual thing happens. Moses has stopped with his family on the way back to Egypt. They're in an inn, and the Lord comes and and there's a wrestling match, and it appears that, that, that God's resisting Moses. He's going to take his life. And you have to read a little bit between the lines to see what happens here. But the truth of the matter is, Moses has not taken his sons, especially Gershom, he has not taken his sons and performed that ritual by which all Jewish men were to be marked out as the people of God. And finally, there apparently is an argument. In fact, Moses' wife, Zipporah, takes care of the business and then she angrily, she says, you know, you're just a husband of blood to me. Ultimately, she even goes back home and it's to her father-in-law's credit that he brings her back later on. You say, what in the world does all of that mean? Well, the truth of the matter is, God has just told Moses that if Pharaoh doesn't let the children of Israel go, that the firstborn in the homes of the Egyptians are going to be killed, and yet Moses has not taken the time to ensure that his own family is distinguished from the Egyptians. Had Moses not done this, Moses' own son could have been one of those who was killed. God is looking out after the family of Moses. This week, uh, one of our church members called me, and I, I talked to him this morning, and I have permission to share this, uh, this experience. He said, um, I'd planned to go on this, this, uh, uh, mission. It's very godly. I mean, very worthwhile mission for God. And he said, it looks like that, um, it looked initially like that, that it was going to be canceled. And then he said, uh, but they called back and they said they had rescheduled. It's very, very good thing. I mean, it's mission work. It's, it's seeing people come to know Christ. 
But he said in the rescheduling of it, it comes right at a moment that I believe is crucial in the life of my son. And so he said, my response was, well, 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 I don't, um, I don't think I can go then. This is an important time for my son. And the person on the other end of the phone responded in a rather flip fashion. Well, uh, sometimes you have to choose between God and your family. And he said, now, brother Tom, I'm in a quandary. What did I do? I said, well, the truth of the matter is nobody cares more about your family than God. I said, you have made the right decision by being with your son during this crucial moment of his life. He said, but what about that statement? He said, you know, in the scripture it says, no man having left father, mother, brother. I said, no, listen, there is no indication ever in the scripture that God intends to waste your family so that you can go on some mission you think is important. And this is true with Moses. You say, Moses, you know, you're dragging this, this wife of yours who didn't grow up in your culture and this son who doesn't know anything about it and you're going to take them out here and go on this journey for 40 years in the wilderness. Why not just leave them alone? It is in their best interest that they go. There are probably some of you out here who, who may be even saying, Lord, I know what you want me to do, but the reason I'm not going to do what you want me to do is because it wouldn't be in my best, my family's best interest. Let me just tell you something. The center of God's will is always in your family's best interest. God knows what your family needs. God knows where they need to live. God knows what they need to experience. Now, God is not saying brutalize your family, be callous to your family. You go off on some mission, ignore your family, forget about your family, don't even think about your family. You're doing something heroic and that just goes with the territory. No, that's not what God is saying here. But God is saying as you surrender to my lordship, you can count on this. What plan I have for your life includes the best interest of your family. Trust me, God is saying. And so following God does not require that you waste your family. The interesting thing about God's will is that God's will always has the best interest of everyone at stake. Not just you, off on some heroic adventure, but your partner, your other family members. God's will always has the best interest of everyone at stake. Now let's look at a final principle here this morning. When God has a work for you to do, He will go before you. Now before we look at the scripture here, verses 27 through 31, I want to remind you that one of Moses' ancestors, his great-great-grandfather, as a matter of fact, uh, knew a little bit about this. He knew more than, than you would ever imagine that he would have known about this. Uh, looking back in, in Moses' ancestry, you would find, of course, Abraham. And you remember there was a time in Abraham's life when God said to Abraham, I, I, I want to teach you a lesson. So I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, that child of promise, I want you to take that son and I want you to go to a mountain I show you and I want you to sacrifice him. 
And there's no indication in the scripture at all that Abraham argued with God, although you know there must have been an incredible inner turmoil in his life at that moment. And so he takes his son, he takes a servant boy, he puts wood, uh, and, and takes wood rather for the fire. And they, uh, they make their journey. They go on a three day journey. And they finally come to a specific mountain. And God says, this is the mountain. By the way, that mountain is a part of the same mountain in the city of Jerusalem on the other end of which is Calvary. There's a place called the Rock of Sacrificing. And so God said, this is the mountain. I want you to go up on the mountain and offer a sacrifice. And you remember what happened. There was this interchange between Abraham and his son Isaac. And ultimately, he, his son takes the wood with him. They go up on the mountain. And his son constantly says, but where is the sacrifice? And, and Abram's response is incredible. He says, God will prepare himself a lamb. And he did prepare himself a lamb. And so they go up to this altar. And Isaac, who was literally a grown man, you and I would think of him as grown man. We think in the Bible, because it says youth that he was not older, he was a grown man by this time. He could have probably wrestled with his dad and won. And so Isaac submits to this and is bound and is placed upon the altar. And, Mo, and, and Abraham takes this knife and he gets ready to plunge it into the heart of his son because God has said, listen, this is a child of promise. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through him. And in Romans it said this, that Abraham knew that if Isaac died, somehow God was going to resurrect him because God had made a promise to him. And so he gets ready to sacrifice him and an angel of the Lord stops his hand. And Abraham looks over, and there is a ram caught in a thicket, which he then offers as a substitute. All of it, of course, a picture of what our Lord Jesus does for us. But he takes that ram. Now, here's what I want you to see. That ram was hemmed up in that thicket on that mountain. And if Abraham had stopped one mountain short that ram wouldn't have been there. You see, God had gone before Abraham to that mountain, made sure that ram was prepared by that altar for that moment, not some other mountain. Now, now here's what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you and I will see. When it comes to the will of God, we don't just back off and take a whack at something. Well, that looks pretty godly. I'll just try that. You know, bless God, I like to do that. Maybe that'll be God's will. No, you don't just haul off and do that. Because it is in His will that God is going to go before you. Not your will, it's His will. And when you are operating within His will and with His plan for your life, then God is constantly preceding you. He is preparing a way before you. He is making things ready for you in His will. Not for your will, not for some other plan. And every one of us in this room are well experienced, I think, at hauling off and trying our own and getting to the end of the journey and finding God was not there. But probably most of us have been confident on some occasions that we've been operating within the will of God. And when we got where we thought was the very end of the journey, God was there all along. 
And so here is Moses. Moses has set out in the wilderness. God has spoken to Aaron, we read in verse 27, and says, go out and meet your brother-in-law, Moses. Or go meet your brother, rather, Moses. And so they have this meeting, and Moses tells Aaron what God has said to him. Aaron tells Moses what God has said to him. And so Moses and Aaron go to Egypt. They gather together all the children of Israel. And Moses tells Aaron what to say. And Aaron, we read in verse 30, speaks all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Now here's what I want you to see. At the beginning of the chapter, Moses says, They won't believe me. I will have no credibility with them. In verses 2 through 30, God says, Moses, I want to tell you something. When you are doing my will, I will use what you have and give you what you don't have. Moses, in regard to my will, no is not a legitimate answer. Moses, you do what I want you to do here. I will not waste your family in the process. And whereas verse 1 starts out with God, they won't believe me. Verse 31 says, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, that he looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. When God has a work for you to do, he will go before you. Father in heaven, my prayer is a prayer trusting that at these moments, your Holy Spirit will take the truths right fresh off of your word. Lord, help us to somehow put to rest the misconception that we can't know what you want us to do and that we just have to do our best and hope that it's pleasing to you, that, that we have to labor in life under some kind of guilt or insecurity, that we're not really making you happy with our lives. Lord, I pray, pray that you would explode that myth. Help us to know, Lord, we can do your will and that you will give us what is lacking in our lives to fulfill it that we must not say no, that is not acceptable, that it is in our family's best interest for us to do the will of God, and that when we do it, Lord, that you have gone before us, making the way. Father, I pray, trusting that your Holy Spirit will put on the heart of men, women, young and old alike this morning, to say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. With your head bowed just for a moment, and eyes closed, let me just say to you, then in a few moments we're going to stand. The choir is going to help us. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. There's room at the cross for you. And there's room at this altar for you. I firmly believe that there are people in this auditorium this morning who do not have the confidence that you have eternal life. You're not sure things are right between you and God. You don't have a problem with acknowledging that you're a sinner because the Bible says all of us are sinners and that the wages of sin is death. But you want to know how you can have life and eternal life. Well, listen, that can be found in Jesus, but only in Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so if your heart's desire is to trust in Jesus this morning as your Savior, to take him as the Lord of your life, then this invitation is for you. And when we stand, I want to encourage you, just as a part of standing, to step to the aisle, come find one of these counselors, take him by the hand, say, look, I want to trust Jesus this morning, or I want to be saved this morning, whatever. 
You say, I'm not sure the words. Well, try this. I want to trust Jesus today. And I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning. It is a decision of faith. Jesus came to this earth. He did something nobody else could do for you. He died on the cross. I couldn't do that for you or you for me. We're both sinners. But Jesus, the sinless son of God, he died on the cross for you. And he rose from the grave. God raised him up. Because a dead savior couldn't give you life. And so he's alive today and he promises to come into your life and to be your savior, your Lord and master, if you'll trust in him. And so I want to encourage you to make that decision this morning. I'm going to ask these counselors to come. And even as I'm speaking, if your heart's desire is to receive Christ, get up out of your seat. Come, take the hand of one of these counselors and say, look, I want to trust Jesus today. There are those who've made decisions, some who were baptized this morning, and others who've joined this church. We've not introduced you to this church family. I'm going to ask you to come be seated down here at the front to your right in just a few moments when we stand. And then at the close of the service, we'll introduce you. There are others to whom the Lord is speaking about becoming a part of this church family. Wouldn't you do that today? What a wonderful decision to be to make today to say, look, I want to join this church or we want to join this church. Planning life here to serve Jesus. That's what we want to do. Maybe the very first time you've ever been in this church. You may have been here many, many times, but God's speaking to you about that. I would urge you to come. And others will be coming. Our prayer warriors will be coming here to this altar. And then others will be coming to visit with counselors, to pray about specific issues. You may just need to come and kneel and say, Lord, I know what your plan is for my life. I want to say yes to it. Maybe God's calling you this morning to some ministry. Maybe God's asking you to fulfill a ministry at work, where you work or in your neighborhood, and you want to quit arguing with him. You want to agree with him. Well, I would encourage you to come this morning. You see, this is your invitation to say yes to God. Let's stand together in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray, trusting now, believing that your Holy Spirit will bring many to this altar to say yes to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.